Well, here we are. We have arrived at that point of the season. That's right. Dan Mahar and I are about to become those guys that foolishly say, oh, we're going to predict the first round of the playoffs and then some because everybody's got to do this. Right. So feel free to send your criticisms later. OHL podcast at Rogers.com or tweet Dan at Dan Mahar or me at Farwell underscore OHL. My name's Mike Farwell. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. And let's start before we get to our playoff prognostications during which we'll make fools of ourselves, of course, because it's on the record and it comes back to bite us. Let's talk about something that we both saw firsthand on the final weekend of the regular season. And that was, well, there are two parts to this. So let me start with the one B to this. There was a game in Kitchener that we both saw on the final Friday of the regular season, during which the Kitchener Rangers had a chance to climb to fifth place in the standings. By the end of the final weekend of the regular season, they played only two games that weekend. They finished an eighth. What a wild swing. And it just goes to show how crowded these conferences were. But the reason Kitchener failed to get to fifth, Dan Mahar, is because they failed to protect a three-goal lead with three minutes to play versus the Flint Firebirds. Over to you. Yeah, and you know, I should, first of all, I should qualify and just say I had to, I had to coach a game that night, so I had to deal with the TV version of the third period only, and I'm still recovering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it looked as ugly in person, Mike, as it did on TV, but there was just not a stitch of defending in those last few minutes, and it was it was pretty ugly. There was losing body position, losing lanes, uh, you name it. It was just a pretty ugly display of defense for what was a pretty critical game for a pretty veteran group. And I, I don't think it left a lot of Kitchener fans with too much confidence heading into the, against the powerhouse of the league. I will absolutely give you that point. And I think that's understandable when you look at something like that happening in the time frame that it did. I mean, all you had to do was shut her down for, well, the Rangers scored the goal to go up 5-2. So all of the momentum was on Kitchener's side. It was 2-1 going for Kitchener, going into the third. And then Kitchener built up a 5-2 lead on a goal by Danny Jilkin with 5-14 to play. The Firebirds didn't get their goal until there were less than three minutes left in the game to make it 5-3. And then in the final minute, they made it both 5-4 and 5-5 and then went on to win it a minute and five seconds into overtime. So it was it was bizarre. And I'll, I'll tell you what, from my perspective up in the broadcast booth, I could almost feel it happening. So I don't know if, like, I was almost having an out-of-body experience, as strange as that probably sounds, because I'm only so closely connected to all of this. But it just it gave me that feeling. So I'm not even sure how closely I was watching or critically I was watching. It's just like, this is happening. I know this is happening. I'm watching it unravel before my eyes, but I can't believe it's unraveling before my eyes. If that makes any sense to you whatsoever. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think you could feel that turning and, and I Flint obviously to their credit, had the formula. They have some really potent offensive players that got in front of the net, shielded the puck, got in good body position. So credit to them. But I think for me, the the probably the moment that stands out about that 
whole comeback was was the zone entry prior to the the fifth goal where coming through the neutral zone rangers had numbers this is fairly standard defending against the rush through the neutral zone and just gave that lane without even requiring a juke from the player straight into the zone without impeding his progress or speed at all and at that point i said wow this is this is not ideal effort positioning defensive acumen from a from a team at this point in this game. And maybe it was just shell shock, Mike. Sometimes that does things to the brain where you're not doing what you should be doing. You know you're not doing what you should be doing, but you can't figure out what that is. So it could be a little bit of that, uh, but it does it, it just can't bode well for a team that's going to have to shut down some potent players in the playoffs. My opinion, definitely shell shocked. And I don't know that that does anything to alleviate any anxiety within Rangers nation because of that, considering what the team is now facing in the playoffs as an eight seed, but that's exactly what it looked like to me. And as the shell was being shocked, if I carry the analogy a half step further, obviously there were things that were being done or not being done that otherwise would have been automatic to me, two things stand out. One was a Ranger rush with numbers offensively, a three on two into the Flint zone with the net empty and failed to cash. I think that was when a pass went off a skate or a shot was partially blocked, whatever. But the big one for me was when Kitchener was up five, four and they went for the empty net from inside their own blue line. And this is where the shell shocked comes back to me. Cause the, obviously they missed that empty net. It's an icing against. And when the face off was coming back down, I'm just, thinking to myself, uh-oh, here it comes, because it's 5-4 at this point, and the Rangers appeared shell-shocked. What I would have loved to have seen in that situation, because the player did have more time, didn't have to go for the empty net. Let's see a bank off the boards. Let's see a, a touch, a flip up into the air, something that doesn't go for icing, or at least attempt to not go for icing. Instead, they went for the empty net, and the rest, as we know, is history. But I do want to give, like, I look at this honestly, more from the Firebirds side than the Rangers side. You got to give that Firebirds team was on the brink of losing fifth place too. They were still playing for it. And the fact that they didn't quit speaks volumes, I think, about that Firebirds team. And what can you say about Amadeus Lombardi, who finished with five points on the night? Is he maybe the most under the radar player in the OHL this year? Uh, Could be. I, you know, I look up and down that those rosters and I say like, this is as potent a player as there is in the league this year and hasn't got a whole lot of headlines and a whole lot of attention. But I think that was a statement right there that he made in the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium that night for those that hadn't been paying attention that don't forget about those Flint Firebirds. There's, there's a lot of talent in that lineup. And obviously I think a lot of gumption, a lot of guts there. This isn't the first time this year they've showed up for a big game and made a statement. So yeah, that like you said, Mike, tip your cap to them as much as anything on that. Amadeus Lombardi was a 13th rounder, a 13th rounder into the Ontario Hockey League. That's the part of the draft where you're usually picking your neighbor's cousin just as a favor. Oh, yeah, he's an OHL prospect, right? Dan Mahar picked him right there in 13th. Amadeus Lombardi was a 13th rounder. So, again, at the risk of coming across as you know, completely out of touch on this and feel free tweet me at farwell underscore OHL or email us OHL podcast at rogers.com. I'll take it. I got my tin suit on and I'm ready for it. But 
the number of times over the course of this or any season that I, as someone who covers the game, says junior hockey, baby. Like there's just something about junior hockey when things like this can happen that make it so special. The experience, of course, is far different when it's happening to you or in a game that you're covering. But I'll take you back. I will take you back to just a few months earlier to a game in Ottawa, 67s at home to the Oshawa Generals. The Generals had just traded Leighton Moore to the Kitchener Rangers. So they were a, a team that was already struggling in the season. They end up just making the playoffs in the East, but they had traded away their captain. They go into Ottawa and they are leading the 67s four to one. So Kitchener was up five, two. The Gens were up four to one and Ottawa scored with one thirty-two to go to make it four, two. They scored with 48 seconds to go to make it four, three. And they scored with 23 seconds to go to tie it. And then they went on to win in a shootout. The Ottawa 67s did coming back from four, one down with 92 seconds to play in the game. Kitchener Rangers up by three or to put it the same way I just did with Ottawa. The Flint Firebirds were down by three goals with under three minutes to play. And they came all the way back to win in overtime. Differences, of course, where Oshawa was then in the standings and where they finished. Although the Rangers did finish eighth, decidedly a better team, a better built team, etc. But these things happen in junior hockey. It's one of the things I absolutely love about the game. Me too. And I, that's why I never understand why people leave early because there's, oh. there's often something that happens in the last two minutes of a game. And, and yeah, you're right. You hit the nail on the head with those two examples where obviously differences, you expect that of a younger team uh, playing a top team, the collapse, the what, what I think scares Kitchener fans the most. That's not a young team. There are a lot of veterans on the ice. A lot of folks that you expect are built to weather those scenarios. So, but you're right. In junior hockey, you, never know what's going to happen i've seen some absolutely crazy wild things happen in junior hockey which makes it in a lot of ways a, a more exciting ticket than the nhl on some nights i think that point on the battle-tested nature of the rangers lineup is very well taken in all of this and that's what makes it as confusing and confounding as it is 99 times out of 100 players like the rangers have are able to weather those storms even when they are getting a little bit shell-shocked Obviously, we got to witness something pretty special, not for Rangers fans necessarily, but pretty special for sure in the game on Friday night in Kitchener. OK, heading into that weekend and and for most, I think there might have been a couple of instances prior to, but certainly in the final weekend of the regular season, Dan, we saw again what we have seen before, what we will see again, not just in the Ontario Hockey League, but in the pros too. And I'm not really sure how I feel about this. I think I know how I feel about this, but I'm not positive. However, what I'm talking about is this practice of resting some players, star players, players with nagging injuries, whatever it may be. But you rest players in what might otherwise be determined as meaningless games on your schedule because you're not going to move in the standings, for example. What are your thoughts on resting players in sports? Yeah, no, uh, and we're hearing this term load management all the time in the pro loops now. And I don't know how I feel necessarily about that per se, when you got fans paying four and $500 for a seat. 
Uh, what I will say generally on the concept is when you get towards the end of a year and you're a little beat up and you've earned that right, I have no issue with it. The, the teams earned that right to do that. And they, they control their own destiny. They've built up the wins. They don't need that particular game. They want to rest players, rest them up for the playoffs, deal with nagging injuries. Like you said, I have no issue with that. And the recourse for other teams, if you're offended because this team rested players to get to play you, well, you, you're going to get a crack at them either later in the year or the next year. You can you can make up for it at that time. But if you've built up those wins through the year and worked hard through the year, I think you have the right to make whatever lineup decisions you see fit. And that includes managing how much those players are going to have to go through right before the critical games of the year. So I, I, I don't love it as a fan. I like to see those players in the game, but I, I get it and I don't blame those teams for doing it. See, that's where I struggle because I thought of that exact thing that you just said. You earn that right, right? If you play well enough during the regular season so that your last three or four or two or whatever games are basically meaningless to your position in the standings, go ahead, give some players the time off. Where I struggle is, and I'm going to use Barry in Kingston as an example. So Kingston and Oshawa are coming right down to the wire for the final playoff spot in the East. Now, Oshawa ends up getting it anyway. But imagine if you're the Oshawa Generals and you're about to play the Mississauga Steelheads while Kingston is home to Barry, and you're thinking to yourself, perfect, because Barry's a strong team, Kingston less strong. You know, Kingston's going to have a really hard time with the Colts on this particular night, and that would secure the playoff spot for the Oshawa Generals. But Barry goes to Kingston without a host of players, including arguably this year's most valuable in Brant Clark. And I'm thinking to myself, is this is this really fair, for lack of a better word, to the Oshawa Generals? And I'm I'm not sure that it is. And then I start asking myself questions about the integrity of the game. And I don't want to sound like that old fuddy-duddy dinosaur that I admittedly am, but I have trouble with that because the game may not have meaning to your season or your standings, but it certainly has meaning or it could certainly have meaning to the other team. So doesn't that other team deserve to see your full team? And that that's where I start to struggle a little bit. And and frankly, if things had turned out differently, I'm probably pretty pissed off right now if I'm an Oshawa Generals fan. Well, you're not wrong, Mike. And when you see it in, in sports, you know, get down the wire in, in the baseball season and they you need your rival to beat another team and they scratch their starting pitcher and throw in some call up. And so this happens at all levels and you're not wrong. It does mess with the integrity, but the the short answer is if you don't want to find yourself in those positions where you need someone to beat someone for you, do better through the regular season. Come on. So there's always that argument, right? And I think at the end of the day, you could also use the, the argument too, Mike, that if it's a nothing game for these teams, so Barry goes in there, they dress Brant Clark, they do what they've got to do. Really, how hard are those guys going to be going? How many minutes are they going to be playing? How, uh, in some ways, it might almost be better they don't play those guys, and the younger guys actually want to make a, an impression on the coach before the playoffs, and maybe they're they're bringing it more than the veterans would have in that game. So there's just all kinds of dynamics at play, but I think at the end of the day, it always comes down to you got to do what's best for your team, and if that's resting those players in nothing games then so be it. And you can't worry about your competition. You're not there to do favors for them. If they wanted to be in the playoffs, maybe they should have won two games in November instead of mailing those ones in. So 
it comes back to the old worry about yourself, I guess. But you're not wrong, Mike, about the integrity. You hate you hate seeing it come down to that where teams kind of are giving away the two points in a big game for for other teams. But uh, I think it just it is what it is. I think you nailed it when you talked about win those two games in November. Don't leave yourself vulnerable to that situation. As you mentioned at the beginning of this, control your own destiny. If you've earned the right to rest players, earn the right to be in a game where rested players don't matter or be in a situation where rested players for another team don't matter in the standings against your own team. I I think that's really well said. The only other thing I'll add to this is I also struggle with this notion where, you know, we want to rest guys because we don't want to run the risk of them getting injured in game 67 or game 68. And I'm like, for crying out loud, they could get injured in game seven or game eight. And I just think even putting that in somebody's head, I don't know that it's, it's a great thing. Let me, let me use this. It just popped into my head by way of example. This goes back a, a lot of years to when Radic Faxa was a kitchen arranger. And the Rangers were finishing out their regular season up in Sault Ste. Marie. And Faxa had a shift where it seemed to me, Dan, like he had been on the ice for three minutes. It probably got pretty close to that, to be honest with you. And he had chance after chance after chance after chance on that shift. And then finally went to the bench and sat down. And he didn't play for the rest of the game. And I thought, oh, somebody's being sent a message that he took too long a shift and he's a star player. Now he's going to sit down. What I learned later was that he was told before that shift, this is it. We're sitting you down for the rest of the game. It was about midway through the second period. He was on 29 goals for the season. You want to get to 30? Last chance. Go get it. This is it. So to that, like I would almost rather see that a little bit of load management within the game instead of rolling out every shift, maybe roll out every second or third, but keep some game reps in there, you know, things like that. The the Windsor Spitfires, to use another example of much more recently, this past weekend, wanted so badly to get Alex Christopoulos his 50th goal that they pulled their goalie down six to three, not because they thought they were going to score three goals, but because they wanted to feed Christopoulos the puck to get him to that milestone marker of 50 goals. I think that's pretty cool. I think that has meaning. And I would just rather see that be our approach instead of the, well, they might get injured or we don't need these two points. I don't know. I'll stop complaining now. <laughs> well, <laughs> nothing I, nothing you said is wrong. Like it's, uh, every team's going to figure out the way they want to deal with it. And I don't think fans and observers are always going to be terribly cool with decisions that are made, but the end of the day that's what coaches and managers do they manage their team the best way they see fit and generally speaking my my rule of thumb always comes back to do what they uh feel is best for their team and if you've earned that right you've earned that right coaches and managers what a perfect accidental segue here we must talk we cannot have this episode of the OHL podcast and we're going to get to our prospects of the week and we're going to get to those playoff predictions, but we cannot have this episode of the OHL podcast without talking about 900 fastest coach to ever get there. And is there really any doubt anymore, Dan, as if there was that Dale Hunter coach of the London Knights will retire from this game as the winningest coach in Ontario hockey league history. I would doubt there's much doubt <laughs> on that one. Uh, yeah, that's a big number. <laughs> when you look at, you know, a 68 game season, how many wins you have to get in a season just to have to add up to that number. 
the London Knights have had a ridiculous number of seasons with a lot of wins uh, to get there. And you just don't see coaches stay in those roles that long anymore uh, in the same league. OHL is often a stepping stone for for the really good coaches. Or if you're not a really good coach, you're obviously not getting there. So it's really it's really tough to do, Mike. And I think you're seeing a bit of an anomaly in Dale Hunter, someone who of that caliber, that ability has stayed that long and had that kind of success. So yeah, I, I would doubt you're going to see that number trumped. I ran some of the numbers because we were in London to close out the regular season. And it, it was such a staggering number. I had to look at it. So I didn't count the season uh, where Dale took over halfway. So in his full seasons, he's got 20. Okay. In those 20 full seasons. And again, you talked about the number of wins you need in a 68 game schedule to add up to 900. I mean, to put it one way, that would be an average of 50 wins per season over 18 seasons, which is just bananas to think about. But the numbers actually play out not altogether different uh, for Dale Hunter and the London Knights. 20 years that he's been the coach the entire season, so not counting the partial season after he took over. In those 20 years, four times, 50 or more wins. 15 times, 40 or more wins. And on only five occasions in those 20 seasons did he have fewer than 40 wins. Two of those times fewer than 40 were 39. Then there was a 38. I think it was a 35. And I know the last one was a 31. So a 31-win season was the lowest that Dale Hunter recorded. And if it's one thing that stands out to me anyway, abundantly, if you saw any of the social media and the photos uh, and some little videos that came out after his 900th, the way the players celebrated their coach gave him a little spray shower. When he came into the dressing room after that game in Windsor, they love this guy and anybody I've talked to around the rinks or on this podcast, when we do our feature interviews who has played for Dale Hunter says the same thing, love the Man, the only thing, and here's my wild theory. Dale Hunter, I I believe, respects this game tremendously. I wonder if, because of that respect, he'll get to 1,193, one short of Kilray, and hang him up. I think that's being ridiculous because he's too competitive. But it, the thought has crossed my mind from time to time. <laughs> Kilray has 1,194, by the way. I don't think there's any doubt that Hunter passes that. Uh, he's right now six behind Burt Templeton. Templeton's at 907. And with his win in the final regular season game this past weekend, Dale Hunter's now at 901. It's crazy, the numbers. It, it is crazy, and those numbers you just gave. Um, but let me just dispel something right up front. He's not stopping one short. Of... <laughs> there goes that theory. Thanks, thanks for nothing. Way to burst my bubble. <laughs> uh, he will want to be top of that heap. And, and I think... I can already hear some of the people in the background saying, well, yeah, of course, because London gets all these extra recruits from, from the States and people wanting to play in London and that's, and he has this unfair advantage. Well, you can give anyone all the advantages they want. It doesn't add up to that average number of wins per year, year over year over year. You still have to make sure you're bringing in the right kids. You're motivating them properly. They're not tuning you out because they've heard you now for how many years, all these elements that go into winning that number of games, it is not easy. I don't care who you are or what advantage you are perceived to have. It's just 
pure ability. Uh, and like you said, there's a reason all those players want to play there and love him. He gets the most out of so many of his kids and it's just been a constant pipeline to pro. So uh, yeah, you just, you can't do anything but tip your hat to to what Dale Hunter's accomplished. I heard a great story from Mike Stubbs, who's the radio play-by-play guy of the London Knights before the game in London when we were there on Sunday. So full credit to Mike for this. But when Dale was being introduced as the coach, uh, he had a chat with him and, and Dale said, look, I played for a lot of coaches in my time. And a lot of those coaches did a lot of things that I didn't like. I'm not going to do any of those things. <laughs> what an approach, right? And so speaks volumes about why players love playing for him because he's a player's coach. The things that as a player he didn't like coaches doing, he's not going to do to his players today. That seems to be work. That's the who knew that was the formula. <laughs> you know, no, I I love hearing you say that, Mike, though, because this like personally and selfishly, this is a huge mantra of mine as well. Is too often I see players grow up in the game and they were coached a certain way and a certain style. Then when they get to be adults themselves, I think this is how you do it. And they never stop to think, did that even work with me? Or did I like that? Or was so, and, and I'm always saying that to myself, both as a player, like as a teammate and as a coach is I don't want to be like this or that, or these things that happened when I grew up. And you, you take the elements that you really appreciated and liked and you throw out the ones that you hated and didn't work. And believe it or not, Mike, often it's a pretty good formula because odds are the people you're trying to lead are going to have the same type of reaction to your style and how you're doing things. And if you just say, I'm going to be what I would have liked, you're probably going to have success. I was so glad to be in the arena at Budweiser Gardens for the final regular season game the day after Hunter set the record or sorry, sorry, reached 900 wins because something happened during that game that was about as rare as a Niagara Ice Dogs win this season. And and that was Dale Hunter cracking like a legitimate big smile behind the bench when they recognized him as they should have on the video board for that 900th win. I, I don't think I've seen Dale Hunter smile before that. I'm sure it happens. I'm not around him a whole lot. My goal remains to get him on this podcast at some point. He is my white whale and I, I will not quit. I'm, I'm persistent. Come on, Dale. We're going to, we're going to have a chat. You will talk farming. I promise this all the time. We'll talk farming too, but we're going to talk hockey and all those things that coaches used to do that you hated. I can't wait to hear the stories. that would be the best pod ever and i you know i've i've probably tried 50 times to put together a pod better than that it 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 won't beat that so hopefully that white whale shows up for you if if he doesn't hang him up at 1193 or 1194 i'll tell you this much once i get dale on this podcast i'm out that's it it'll be over (laughs) i could not possibly do any better leave on a high note (laughs) (laughs) okay well we're gonna leave on the low note are you are you ready to do this because I mean, I feel like we're obligated. We're doing a podcast like this. We're talking about the Ontario Hockey League. It is our contractual obligation with our dozens and dozens of listeners that we have to prognosticate the playoffs that are to come. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Can I put the disclaimer in, though? Absolutely. Any any disclaimer you want. All right. The disclaimer is, if folks, if you're going to gamble on these predictions, <laughs> I... I take no responsibility because remember our season prognostications. You you might not want to go with these predictions, but come hell or high water, here they are. Uh, I like the way you did that. And you're right. Gamble responsibly. Don't <laughs> bet what you can't afford to lose. And definitely don't take this as gambling advice. Okay, here <laughs> we go. 
let's start, Dan, in the Eastern Conference. We already talked about Oshawa kind of coming in as that uh, in the final weekend, coming in as the eight seed. They are going to face the Ottawa 67s in round number one. A couple of things real quick. Uh, if Kingston had made it and set up a Kingston-Ottawa final, it would have been the first in like 40 years, which blew my mind when I heard that stat out of Kingston. But anyway, it's going to be Oshawa-Ottawa. And oh yeah, the Ottawa home games will be played in Gatineau. Whatever. Who do you like? What do you got? Yeah, this one was one of the easier picks for me, and it's no disrespect to Oshawa. I just don't think they obviously have the chops to go head-to-head with Ottawa this year. Ottawa's loaded for Bear, picking up Minchikov and Morrison on top of an already talented roster. Up and down that lineup, deep on D, deep on forward, getting great years out of players like Luca Pinelli, who are younger. (laughs) I just don't see any pathway here, Mike, for Oshawa. Having said that, Oshawa has been impressive since the trade deadline, run, running with some of the younger kids and Seneca, and you got obviously Richie there, and you've got Gagne, and you got some players that can play. Uh, but I, I don't think this one's going to last very long, Mike. And do we want the number of games, or are we just going win or loser? If you want to throw in a number of games, it just adds another element to it. All right, I'm, I'm going to give Oshawa a home win just because I think there's enough will and determination in that dressing room, but I'm going to say Ottawa on five. Yeah. <laughs> really generous of you to throw Oshawa that win look for the reasons you just mentioned and no disrespect look if listen much like the disclaimer on this was don't take this as gambling advice if any of these teams want to use this as locker room material because the couple of knuckleheads on the OHL podcast picked against them feel free but the Ottawa 67s in my humble estimation sweep this series they've proven the ability multiple times through the season to go on lengthy undefeated runs. And I don't think that's going to stop just because the playoffs have started. They are built, as you mentioned, for just this sort of thing. They're very well coached. No disrespect to Oshawa. They're just overmatched. Real quick on Beckett Seneca, because you mentioned him, went out and scored twice uh, in his final game, and he got within one. He got within one point of Michael Misa for the rookie scoring lead. I'm like, oh, the poor guy. Like, what a finish, right? But anyway, Misa is who Misa is. I just thought it was interesting when you mentioned Seneca's name. Okay, so we agree that Ottawa is going to win that first round series with the Oshawa Generals. Now we got North Bay in the two seed and Mississauga sliding to the seven seed over in the east. Who you got here? All right, well, you know why I'm very impressed with Mississauga. Love a lot of their players, love a lot of the drive they had there. I think North Bay is the most under-the-radar team in the league right now, um, and they shouldn't be. You look at their stats and say, how's this team under the radar? They've just done nothing but win. I believe a perfect 10-0 and 0 in their last 10. Uh, they have everything you want. They have experience. They have scoring. They have physicality. They have shutdown ability. They have goaltending. I, I, I don't see Mississauga winning a game here, Mike. I'm going to go with the sweep for the, the battalion on this one. Who you got? I will see your 10 and 0 and raise you one. They actually finished the battalion did with 11 straight victories under the radar is a great way to describe this team. In my opinion, I think part of the under the radar aspect of this is that it's North Bay and look, we're Western conference guys. There's the Western conference bias. I know it exists. We try really hard, but North Bay's up there and we're down here in the heart of Southern Ontario. And that's the way it goes. But I was asked, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, you know, if you were to pick right now, what's your OHL final going to be? And I thought about that very thing with this sort of under the radar team that I've loved 
since the beginning. I think Adam Dennis has done a terrific job up there as, as GM. He's added all the right pieces. Um, at, at the time, I'll just tell you, I picked Sarnia and North Bay because, you know, I just go, you know, Ottawa, Windsor and take the top teams or something. So anyway, all of that is to say uh, I'm with you on this. I'm going to give the Steelheads one in this one because some of those like the, the jam of a McDonnell, the, the jam of a Porter Martone, I think there might be an opportunity here for uh, the Steelheads to steal one here. But North Bay in five, I don't think it's going to be much in doubt in that one. Okay, the, the series that the OHL got a series, I think the entire league gets a series that everybody wanted to see over in the West. The one that people wanted to see in the East, I believe, we're not going to get to see because Hamilton slides to sixth. Hamilton, Peterborough, how much fun would that have been considering they were trading partners at the deadline, seeing some of those Pete's come back or some of those Bulldogs come back against the Pete's as an underdog? That would have been so much fun. Instead, Hamilton falls to sixth, so they get Brant Clark, Bo Akey, and the Barry Colts. Who do you like? Well, I like them both. <laughs> I like both teams because I, I, I can't say enough about the job Jay McKean and his staff did with that Hamilton team this year, especially post-deadline. And you're right, the Peets that came in to play for Hamilton, Panwar and Lardis, what, what a show they put on in the last half of the year. Great, great show. Having said that, I think the, the end – the end is near <laughs> for that team this year. They know it's not their year. Uh, they weren't expected to do a lot, but Barry, just with the addition of Clark, has just kind of been been ragdolling some teams when he's on the ice. Uh, some of their other players have definitely stepped up in the second half. I, I don't think it's going to be an easy one, Mike. Uh, I was torn on the number of games here, but I'm going Barry in six on this one. How about you? Brent Clark is such a great story. We talked about him at length on the podcast last week. And I just want to share this because, again, totally stealing it. But I really liked uh, Greg Cowan, who covers the attack for the Owen Sound Sun Times. So the Barry Colts Twitter feed this past week was pumping Brant Clark's tires as if he needed any more tire pumping. No disrespect to the young man. He, I mean, I don't know how much more we could say about him. He absolutely dominated this league and essentially showed like he, he doesn't really belong here. He's way too good for this league. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch, but the Colts were pointing out the points that Clark picked up, uh, sets a new franchise mark for goals by a defenseman in a season. And he only played 31 games. So they were pumping his tires as the Red Tilson winner. And Greg Cowan from the Owen Sound Sun-Times tweeted back at them, hey, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it was basically, don't forget about Ty Nelson up in North Bay. And Barry's Twitter feed responds, yeah, but this was in 31 games, Greg. And, <laughs> and Greg's response was, some people say the best ability is availability. And Nelson was there the whole way. Now, look, it's not like Brant Clark was, you know, saying, I don't feel like playing today. He was, oh, in the National Hockey League and, oh, winning a World Junior Gold Medal. But I thought it was interesting. Just, you know, let's not gift it to anybody. Let's acknowledge Ty Nelson, who's up there in North Bay doing great things and the Seattle Kraken prospect and so on and so forth. I don't have much to add. I just thought I'd throw that in there to what you said about this series. I'll give the Bulldogs one more, though. It's a, it's a gutsy team. They're finishing out at First Ontario Centre. There's some pride there. There's some grit and some scoring. I'll take Barry, but in seven in that one. Wow. Bold prediction. I like it. And that leaves us with, oh, so interesting. I And I say interesting because a lot of people have talked about this Peterborough Peets team as a bit of an enigma, right? All season long, even after adding Brennan Othman 
It's just a team that has been confusing and confounding. They're the four seed, and the Sudbury Wolves surge all the way to the five seed. Who do you like here, Dansky? Well, this one's really tough for me, Mike, because uh, to some degree, Peter Rowe's kind of my Kitchener East this year. Just like you said, an enigma, confounding, better on paper than we're seeing on the ice. There's something missing there. I, I had said a, a couple months ago that I love their roster. I thought they were built for the playoffs. They have a lot of physicality on D, some big bodies that are going to be hard to find room in front of the net. They added Owen back up front, a face-off specialist, can match up whoever you want, kind of buffer with some of the other uh, offensive talent Peterborough has there. They look, to me, built for the playoffs on paper. But, Mike, I think this one's going seven. <laughs> I love Sudbury. I love what they have shown in the back half of the year uh post deadline they've got some very underrated talent you you picked matthew mania as your prospect of the week at one point we've picked quentin musty several times uh we you see where david goyette is in the overall uh scoring lead so i i'm gonna give it to peterborough just based on the way they're built but i'm i think it's going seven mike and this one is not easy who have you got i'm with you all the way on the difficulty in in prognosticating forecasting this particular series for all the reasons that you just mentioned uh goyette the first uh wolf to eclipse 90 points in over a decade and how about the sudbury wolves like we talked about mississauga being seventh hamilton being sixth in large part it's because the sudbury wolves have been on fire i looked back to the trade deadline 17 10 3 and 3 since so points in 23 of 33 games for the Sudbury Wolves. That's how you go from ninth place in February to fifth place when the regular season ends. So obviously Sudbury is going in the right direction and Peterborough, I guess it depends on how they feel or how they feel like playing. I'll say this. If the Peets don't win, it could be a pretty ugly off season in Peterborough because this team was built to do one thing and one thing only, I believe, and that's get all the way to an OHL championship. So pressure is definitely on Peterborough. This will be the fifth meeting ever between these two teams in the playoffs. And the Wolves have never won. Not one time. Is this the time? No. Pete's and six. That's all I got. Oh, good call. I, I, yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you said there. So, yeah. All right. Let's move it over to the Western Conference. The confusing, confounding enigma. That is the Kitchener Rangers, who had fifth place in their grasp on the final Friday of the regular season, instead finish eighth. And for that, they get to draw Shane Wright, Brett Harrison. Oh, yeah, the OHL's leading scorer in Matt Maggio and the Windsor Spitfires in round number one. What say you? Well, I will start by saying that the Kitchener Rangers have been better under Mike McKenzie. We got to account for that. They're starting to find some chemistry with their additions at the deadline. I don't think it's great feeling for Windsor to have as good a year as they had and end up having to face that paper roster in the first round. They probably should have earned a slightly lesser opponent. Having said that, something has been missing from Kitchener all year. I've I've attributed it to a lack of grit, which you need in the playoffs, lack of physicality. And there's just that ability to defend. We talked about earlier on the pod. The, the, the shutdown has been a struggle for them, uh, but they do have a ton of talent on paper. I think they're overmatched against Windsor. Windsor's just a powerhouse. 
had a terrific year. We talked about it. I think Alex Christopoulos might get 50 in this series based on how he plays Kitchener. Uh, I, I just think there's too much there, too much weaponry. But when I account for what Kitchener has and can throw at you with three lines deep and even a, a new look fourth line that's that's coming, I'm still giving it to Windsor. I think there's too much there, and we haven't seen enough from Kitchener, but I'm giving it to them in six. Yeah, you don't, like, you don't want to see the Kitchener Rangers for all of the reasons you just mentioned, right? It's just not the matchup that you want because on paper, look at what they look like. And I'm going to talk about briefly the the six NHL prospects that the Kitchener Rangers have all signed. I might've mentioned this earlier in the season on our podcast. And look, this comes from one conversation. Okay. But I remember the conversation from many years ago in a media room with a scout before a game and it was getting on playoff time. And he was telling me who he liked for whatever reason. But one of the reasons he cited was because they had NHL drafted players, but they weren't signed. And he said, the players that you want to go out and get are the ones who are not signed because it makes them hungry. They want to play. They want to play longer so they can be seen more, etc. I don't know. Like I said, it was one conversation. The Rangers have six signed prospects on their team. Better under Mike McKenzie has only five regulation losses in their past 21 games under Mike McKenzie. So points in 16 of 21 games with Mike McKenzie back behind the bench. I don't know if you're aware of, for example, if you're on a board of trustees or you're elected to a council and there's this thing called conflict of interest, you might've heard of that before. So I'm just going to say Kitchener and seven conflict of interest. Let's move on. You get where I'm coming from. Okay. We're just going to move on from there. (laughs) The two seven matchup in the uh, Western conference is the London Knights and the Owen sound attack. Owen sound earns its way to seventh place by winning 6-4 in Saginaw on the final day of the regular season. Well, I love you, Owen Sound. You're one of my favorite communities. I don't think there's much here, Mike. I think we just talked about how astute Dale Hunter is, especially come playoff time. Made some savvy additions. Brett Brochu can steal a series by himself. Probably won't need to with the quality of their defense. Questions around the health of Colby Barlow, Caleb Lawrence. Uh, Owen Sound just, just didn't quite have it this year. Still a lot of impressive players up there. The years that of those players, uh, Cedric Gindon, you got Denny Gurr. There's gonna, there's enough players there to be problematic for London, especially when they go up to the Bayshore. I still don't think there's much there, Mike. I, I think London rolls in five. Who've you got? It's a really good matchup for the Knights. Uh, and I, I also want to say now, and this is where it can really come back to bite me. But there's, there's been so much conversation throughout this whole season. That, oh, the London Knights are vulnerable. You know, a lot of people were saying as this regular season wound down, boy, if I'm the Kitchener Rangers, I want to get the Knights in round one. And I'm, I keep asking myself, like, am I watching the same league? Look, they're not the 05 Knights. I get it, right? But goodness gracious, I, I believe that you are who you are until you show me who you are not who I think you are. And And the London Knights, we've already talked on this podcast about how dominant they've been first long. So I I wasn't really sure where all of that was coming from. This though is really a a great matchup for London. Uh, The biggest thing that stands out to me on Owen Sound's side is goaltending. And if your best defenseman, I think there's not too much argument about that being Sam Sedley, has substituted as a forward before. I mean, you're not giving that goaltender a whole lot of help. I, I think the London Knights win this one pretty easily as well. I'll take the Knights in five. 
first time we agreed on the number as well, Mike. There you go. There you go. Okay, the uh, the three six in the West uh, gives us the Sarnia Sting and the <laughs> the Guelph Storm. I laugh. I laugh because I got a message from uh, a fan in Guelph after the Rangers had won in Erie last Wednesday. Or was it after they lost? Either way. No, it must have been. Was it after? The, it doesn't matter. The point was from the fan. Okay, well, if you don't want. Or no, you can have sixth place. That's right. It was after the Rangers win in Erie. He said, you can have sixth place because we don't want to play Sarnia anyway. Well, sorry, well, fan. Uh, the storm get the sting. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say how impressed I am with Guelph coming down the stretch. They really put things together. They started playing as a team. They've got some great young players there. Heck of a year for Patra. They've got a lot of things to be proud of. Well, I think you know where this is going because I have Sarnia coming out of the West as well. I think I think that's a beast of a team. Kudos to Guelph for for winning all the games they had to down the stretch and saying we don't care. We want to go in hot. We want to play good hockey, and we don't care who we get. There's something to be said for that. I just think Sarnia is loaded for bear. They don't they don't have weaknesses that I see. Uh, as long as you have Ethan Del Mastro back there logging up, which at 30 minutes alongside an already potent core. I mean, Christian Cairo could be doing that. Dillingham could be doing that. You name it. Up front, they've got. I mean, Ty Voigt right at the top of standings. Past job at the stop. Sorry, at the top of the scoring leaders. You've got uh, Burke with uh, his goal scoring exploits. I mean, just up and down that lineup. You, you, you haven't even talked about Del Belbalus yet. And uh, you, you, it can go on and on and on. I just think this is a beast. I don't think there's much chance for Guelph here, despite how good Guelph has been. Out of respect for the storm and what they did down the stretch, I'm going to give him a game, Mike. So five, five for Sarnia. Nolan, Nolan Burke, one of uh, two players to reach 50 this season. Yeah. Christopoulos fell just short. So too did Francesco R. Curry. Uh, I, I think you you sum it up really well. This Sarnia team is an absolute buzzsaw. Frankly, the only thing I think that's working against the Sting is reputation. Right, the team has never been beyond the second round. But I'm with you. I think this is the team to beat in the Western Conference this season. The the Guelph Storm though are an interesting team to me. Not only have they been really good in really the second two thirds of the season. But they play the big guys really well. Like they don't seem to be intimidated at all by London. Just what two, three weeks ago, Guelph comes back from two goals down to force extra time and beats Sarnia in a shootout. That's pretty impressive stuff. And I love the subplots here with Pastajov and Nemesnikov going against their former teams. I'm going to give Guelph two games in this because I like their jam so much, but I'm still taking Sarnia in six, which will bring us around to I think the series that the entire league has been looking forward to. I think the OHL loves that this is finally happening. Not even when Flint was Plymouth did we get the all-Michigan playoff matchup for the first time ever, Saginaw and Flint. And I, should I just say right now, flip a freaking coin on this one. (laughs) Who you got, Dan? Well, I'll I'll just start by saying of the eight, this is my favorite series. This is the one I'm going to be most intently watching. I think both these teams impressed the heck out of me this year in a lot of ways for different reasons. Saginaw for arriving early. They're a young team. They traded their best player, have been potent all year despite that. Got some phenomenal young players. Flint because they had turmoil off the ice early. Brendan Othman requesting a trade in a year they were supposed to compete. They put it all together. Ted Dent held it together there. And... 
and boy, did he get a lot out of those players. There was an awful lot of talent came out of the woodwork. So anyway, all, all to say, I love both these teams. Don't want either city mad at me here, but I flipped that coin, Mike, and the, I'm going with Flint in seven. And I just love what they can do up front. I love the, like I said, the guts and gumption they showed in some big games this year. I, I love both teams. I I think there's just a little bit more firepower and, and savvy on that Flint side this year. So I'm giving it to them in seven, but boy, do I think that's going to be a good series. Who are you going with? I love what you said about overcoming adversity, you know, things going on off the ice. I was thinking of that on the weekend as well. When I watched Flint make that incredible comeback, this team has set aside, look, this is, it's the same season, right? Where they had to let go their general manager, president, Terry Christensen anyway. And that it was just another sign of like, who the heck knows what's going on in the front offices over there. It's not, it's not been a great look, but some way, somehow these players remained focused. I I would guess that's a, a huge testament to Ted Dent and his staff, but not only did they remain focused, look at the years, like, Again, let me mention Amadeus Lombardi, among others. I mean, it's just been it's been sensational. So full marks to those young men for competing the way that they have, despite all the noise around them off the ice and and all of the reasons just to fold up their tents and say, OK, we're, we're done. So I, I love the way they're coming in to the playoffs in terms of how well they've been playing, uh, the offense they're producing. They're starting to get saves. What a difference it makes when all of a sudden you're getting timely saves. On the Saginaw side of things, man, it was rough around the trade deadline, right? And then you trade Minchikov and things stay rough for a long time. But all of a sudden, they start to find their way a little bit again. They got great goaltending. They've got solid defense. Zane Parekh is so much fun to watch. They're so well coached in Saginaw. If I flip my coin, it comes. I have to flip it seven times. Because this series, is. if it doesn't go seven, that will be my big shock of the first round. And I'm going to I'm going to give just the slightest nod, just the slightest nod to the Saginaw spirit in this one. Nice. Well, it sounds like we have a side bet right there, Mike. So (laughs) (laughs) we know it's going seven. You've got Flint. I've got Saginaw. But that one, oh, it should be fun. I hope it lives up to what we all expect it to be. I think we just jinxed it not to Mike (laughs) because that's how I roll. But uh, but yeah, I think that's going to be a great one. All right. Just before we get to our uh, prospects of the week, uh, I want to give a shout out to Johnny 807, Jonathan from London, who emails us regularly. You can do that too. OHL podcast at rogers.com. First and foremost, he has given us his blessing. Johnny 807 is an acceptable nickname. Use it going forward. He just brought up the conversation we were having last week about fighting. And he wonders if the more we remove it from the game, is it going to end up moving then away from the game off the ice and into the social media sphere where you've got either players and or fan bases bickering back and forth around, you know, who's the tougher one or who got away with this or that. Uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting in this world of electronic media, how different things can be perceived and how differently things can play out. I don't know, but that's what Johnny 807 had to say. Yeah. Thanks Johnny. Very interesting point that I hadn't really contemplated yet. You know, it, I, all I will say is that, very little good comes of these things moving into the social media sphere. So if that's the if that's the outcome, yeah, look out. So interesting take. Hadn't thought of that before. All right. I um I wonder if we're going to have the same prospect of the week this week. We're about to find out. But uh, who you got, Dan? I hope I didn't step on your toes here, Mike. Because I, I there's certain reasons I'm going back to this guy. 
didn't have the best year. Got moved. Season's over. So I want to give him a nod before he goes home. Uh, and that is Ethan Miedema in the Kingston front. Actually, I'm going Kingston two, two weeks in a row. And part of the reason is traded from Windsor halfway through the year in the Shane Wright deal, had been having an okay year up and down, inconsistent in Windsor, not getting the ice time he wanted. Moved to Kingston, getting the ice time he wanted, not producing, adjusting to a new city at 17 years old, a lot of attention because there's no one buffering him in that lineup now. Struggled. In his last seven, eight games, did not struggle. Started to light the lamp a lot. I believe eight goals in his last three games. Looking like he's starting to figure it out and be the player he was drafted to be very high in the OHL draft. So a uh, nod to the end of his season. I'm going back to Ethan Miedema, Mike. Who have you got? Ethan Miedema. <laughs> I mean, what, what are you going to say? And for all the reasons that you just said, right, especially for me, it's when it came down to, I, I know the fronts were in a playoff race, but that ended on, on Friday night. Right. So, I mean, they, they had, they played for nothing on their final game of the season and, and meet still scored two more. So I've got him for six goals, eight points in his final three games, a four goal night. Listen, leave them something to remember you by meet did that for me. I don't think there was any question uh, that he would be the prospect of the week. It does make me think of one more thing just real quick. We've been, we've gone a little bit long on this one, but that's what playoff previews do. Kingston misses the playoffs. Niagara misses the playoffs. Sault Ste. Marie misses the playoffs. Three of the four 2024 Memorial Cup hopefuls fail to qualify for the postseason this year. I find that interesting, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, you might see this two years ahead of a bid, but one year ahead of, of a bid's a bit scary. So, which just plays back into, I think, both you and I, uh, of you, Mike, that we have Saginaw on this race for a few reasons. And I think I think from a competitive standpoint, that probably makes most sense too. Yeah, I think Sue is in strong contention here, but I think the tournament does go to Saginaw. And I guess by the next time we meet, we'll find out and we can uh, discuss that, plus where we're at in round one on our next episode together. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. All right. Coming up on Friday's feature interview. Oh boy. Oh boy. Am I looking forward to this one? So with the Hamilton Bulldogs about to become the Brantford Bulldogs, we go back to a former Brantford Alexander, but I know I'm not stretching here to say far less known as a Brantford Alexander than he was as a Toronto Maple Leaf. In the heyday of the Ballard era in the 1980s, called up as a 19-year-old, and boy, oh boy, does he have some stories to share. So that is our feature interview coming up on Friday. And Mike, like you've had some fantastic guests all year, but I've been telling you, this is the one I think I've been looking most forward to. This might be your best one yet. Uh, My my younger self is really excited about this, and he was such a great guest and gracious with his time that I think I think you're going to love it that's the next ep- episode of the OHL podcast it comes out Friday Dan we have to stop we have to end this now because we have some playoff hockey to watch okay so we'll catch up with you next Tuesday sounds good and people can mock me at that point when I'm already like 0 for 6 on my predictions or so so yes exactly <laughs> he is Dan Mahar at Dan Mahar on Twitter my name is Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL email us anytime 
OHL podcast at rogers.com. And hey, give us a like, subscribe, tell a friend. We would love to have your friend listening to this podcast as well. Your next episode of the OHL podcast coming out on Friday. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.